How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everybody. Eurovision 2021 may be over, but we are still here. Me and James are here with another episode of the Euro Trip. It is Wednesday, and this episode is sponsored by the great people at Cloudwater Soda and their friends at the Queer Brewing Project. That's right. So Cloudwater Soda take ingredients from their brewery to create delicious, low-calorie, alcohol-free infusions, unlocking the unique characters of hops for all to enjoy. Now, as a brewery, they create some pretty strong beers, so they've introduced their sodas to encourage a more mindful approach to unwinding with a good drink. Now head to cloudwatersoda.co and use the code EUROTRIP for 10% off their soda range. That code again, EUROTRIP, all one word. You can use the same code as well for queer brewing merch and beers. And that code valid until July the 31st, 2021. As Jono Lassand always said, take it away. After Hilversum, Amsterdam and The Hague, the festival is going to make its home in Rotterdam. I really hope that, you know, you will enjoy the show this year. I want to send a message to all the people. Join us on the dark side. Let's have a party in Rotterdam. I'm Rambo Amadeus. Hi, my name is Andrus Mamontovas. Hello, my name is Sana Nielsen. I'm Paul Harrington. And I am Charlie McGettigan, believe it or not. I'm Dave Benton, winner of the Eurovision 2001. Hey, I'm Eldar, the winner of Eurovision 2011. Hi, I'm Chris Bjorkman. Hi there, my name is Martin Estadal. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, your favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. 
as this week we look back at Eurovision 2021 and round up everything that has been happening over the last two weeks in Rotterdam. Yeah, you didn't think we'd leave you to it, did you? You didn't think that we wouldn't be here with another episode just because Eurovision 2021 is done. We should say we will be taking a break, but not until after next week. But before we get to that, James, loads to talk about naturally, because what an incredible show. Wasn't it just? And naturally, the first place to start is, of course, Italy winning the contest for the first time uh, since 1990. Such a long wait for them to win. So we'll be chatting to Christina Giuntini very, very shortly. She's the president of OGAE in Italy. She'll be reacting to their very first victory in 30 years. And we will be getting a very interesting insight on the contest from Finland, from Helsinki, although not exclusively about Blind Channel and the fact that Finland got their second best result ever at the contest on Saturday night. We will be talking, though, to Dr. Zoe J. Now, she is an academic. We love an academic on this podcast. And she produced a really, really fascinating Twitter thread on, I think, Sunday morning about why some songs did really well, why songs didn't do quite as well, and how they linked to the rollercoaster year that we've all just been through. And also, he's back again, Mr. Steve Holden, BBC Radio 1's music reporter. He spent the two weeks in Rotterdam itself, so he's back in the UK. So we had to bring him back and chat about what his experiences have been like over the last two weeks. You're listening on Acast, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. That's right, we are back with you once again. I hope you don't mind that we took a few days off since Saturday just to enjoy the show and then reflect for a couple of days. But we are back. It's our penultimate episode of the 2021 season. And we've got loads of fantastic reaction to what has to be said, Rob, was perhaps the best Eurovision Song Contest we've seen in maybe a decade, or at least one of the most competitive. That was very funny because I thought you were going to go out on a limb and say perhaps the best Eurovision we've ever seen. And then you took it down a notch and said, maybe the last decade. Or maybe not even the last decade. Maybe it was the most competitive. Uh, But I would maybe agree on all of them. Uh, I would say you could definitely make an argument for it being the best Eurovision we've ever seen. As I think I said last week, wasn't around for a lot of them. So couldn't tell you what the contest was like in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and the 90s for that matter. But... As far as Eurovision 2021 is concerned, an incredible show. I think we knew it was going to be, being on this podcast, lucky enough to speak to so many of those who were heavily involved in the production this year. I think we knew what we were going to be looking forward to. We knew what to expect. We knew it was going to be a fantastic show. And it was just brilliant that the Dutch got their big night. You know, Rotterdam have been waiting for that Saturday for two years and it didn't disappoint. It didn't. What a show they put on. Not only, as you mentioned there, just the the overall show that the Dutch broadcaster put on with the interval acts and just everything that they were responsible for. But of course, the quality of music we had on Saturday night and in the semi-finals on Tuesday and Thursday was absolutely top-notch. And it was so, so wide open. It came down to the final point in the televote, as it always, well, I suppose as it always does, just because of the nature of the televote point <laughs> sequence. But we didn't really know who was going to win. No, we didn't. But what a winner as well. Manishkin. I've tried to adopt their, I think, pronunciation. Manishkin? 
Uh, I I think you're you are wrong, but I'll just let you get on with it. <laughs> well, maybe between now and Italy 2022, I'll be able to uh, pronounce the band's name correctly. But what a performance from them! I would like to be able to pull off one of those outfits that any of them were wearing. Do you reckon we could do that? Me, you, Christmas party, maybe dresses, Manishkin. Wow. Well, you know me, Rob. I'm a big fan of a f- uh, fancy dress, as I was on Saturday. However, I-, I think that might be a step too far for me. Would you like to share with the listeners exactly who you were dressed up as for Saturday night? It's difficult to um, to describe, although given that I can't show them a picture. However, uh, me and my girlfriend were dressed up as the uh, the two main performers from Russian band Little Big on Saturday night. Because who else? Who else would you go as? And how did you rate my outfit, actually? Given uh, I don't think you actually commented when I sent you a picture in the group chat. I don't think you really responded. What I'm about to say is going to make me sound creepier than I meant to. Uh, your girlfriend's outfit, much better than yours, I would say. <laughs> but you're still very good. Well, thanks. I suppose, is that a compliment? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. No, it was, it was a fantastic effort. I didn't do fancy dress. Um, the other big question that we have to cover off, because I mentioned it enough last week when we were doing Almost Live from Rotterdam, what did you end up nibbling on? And how was the cake that you so nearly destroyed just before the grand final? <laughs> the cake was delicious, actually. The, it was massive. It was enormous. Delicious. I've had more than my fair share of it. Do you know what we had in the end? We just had a Chinese takeaway. I, which I must pa- admit. I beg your pardon? Uh, you are telling me. I was very disappointed with the food choices on Saturday night. And that is my final comment on the matter. You can't stick a Spanish flag in a Chinese takeaway. As I say, yes, I was very disappointed, but I shall add no further comments. But yours, surely you did a much better spread than we did. It was good. We had some nachos. The only Dutch thing we had was some uh, Gouda cheese. We had a bit of a cheese board, so that was very pleasant. And my girlfriend made a Maltese tray bake, which I would recommend. Um, I'm I'm going to ask now. Sorry, we will get to Eurovision again in a minute. It seems remiss of us, given that we're just a few days after the contest, that we seem to be spending most of the time thus far on dining options and what we nibbled on on saturday uh what was what was on the menu from the chinese to get some uh, some pork balls well that's the problem because i'm not a big fan of chinese food anyway uh so i just had get a spare I rib just, i'm not i'm not a fan of meat on the bone either so i think what did i have i just had some chips and some curry sauce the i mean literally the least chinese thing you could possibly have <laughs> yes as i say i'm not a big fan i was very disappointed in the choices that we were given that's what we ended up with so yeah there we go shall we move on yeah king of segs here trying to think of how we're going to get ourselves away from chinese and onto <laughs> italy's triumphant eurovision victory on saturday no i can't think of a way james so you crack on Oh, well, thanks for that. Thanks for putting me in that position. No, but you're absolutely right. Of course, Italy have won Eurovision 2021. And we say it was very wide open, but they were the hot favourites. They were at the top of the list with the bookies. And what a way to win. What a performance. What a professional performance. What a classy performance all around from Maniskin. It's interesting that you refer to it as a classy performance because I've been taking a lot of stick uh, over the last few days because on BBC Breakfast on Saturday morning, I referred to Manishkin as a classy rock act, I think was the phrasing I went for. And uh, a lot of people have been saying, I wouldn't use the word classy. I mean, they were fantastic. Classy, maybe not. I think that's where I've gotten the word from, actually. I think I've picked it up from what you said. Maybe they're not classy, but whatever they are, it worked an absolute treat. And they've won Eurovision 2021, so fair play to them. So to get some reaction 
to their victory, we had to get somebody Italian on the podcast. And actually, I might be right in saying that this is the first Italian guest we've ever had on the podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Christina Giuntini. She is the president of OGAE in Italy. And I started off... Sorry, I would just want to interrupt, interrupt you. And you were just about to get into the interview. And I'm really sorry, but I just needed to interrupt because, listeners, I cannot tell you how many times James could not say... O-G-A-E, Italy, when we were trying to record the opener. Honestly, we've been here for about 20 minutes. <laughs> it is so, so difficult. And I'm probably going to have to say it again as I try and introduce the chat that I've had with her. Although, caveat, as I'm speaking to you now, I haven't had the chat with her. So hopefully she turns up in half an hour when I'm meant to be chatting to her. Or maybe you'll just hear me introduce her and she doesn't turn up and then we get into another chat with somebody else. So brace yourselves. What are you planning on asking her first and then we can get into it? Okay, I plan on asking her first, how does she reflect on Italy's first win at Eurovision in over 30 years? Oh my God. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for having me with you. Uh, my God, I, I, I think I still can't believe it. I mean, uh, I, I believed in Monoskin from the start. It was indeed my favorite song, not just because it was the Italian song, but uh, it was my favorite song. And I said to myself, as soon as they won Sanremo, I believe we can win the Eurovision Song Contest this year. But well, it was just too, uh, I, I got so emotional on Saturday because, it, it, okay, I know, of course, I know how the voting goes on. But when you see that uh, few juries uh, give you 12 points, you get, uh, okay, five points, uh, maybe eight points, uh, and then two points. Um, and I said to myself, oh my God, maybe this time I did not guess. And then at the end of the jury voting, I saw, but we are in the fourth position, so it's not that bad. Just wait, just wait and see. And oh my God, I, I can't describe what I felt as soon as the televoting came in. Oh my God, I, I really can't describe. What has been the reaction in Italy? Because on Saturday night, we heard the, the commentary on Rai on your TV station. 160! Does this reflect what the reaction has been from other Italians who have been watching on Saturday night? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, of course, the reaction would have been bigger in another country because we are still uh, getting to know the Eurovision Song Contest. But since we came back, uh, more and more people have grown interest in Eurovision. And so this year, lots of people were watching it. Lots of people were hoping for victory. And of course, I cannot tell you they were celebrating in the streets, but, but lots, lots of people called me and uh, sent me messages. Oh, did you see? We have one, we have one. Everybody was happy, really. Uh, and everybody's happy now. And there is a lot of competition between, uh, I think about now seven or, or eight Italian cities to host. And it's incredible. We'll, we'll come on to the cities shortly. I'll ask you about 
where you'd like it to be next year. But it must be special that it was Maniskin who won at the weekend because they just went out there. They were themselves. They weren't trying to be a quote-unquote Eurovision act. They just went there as if they were performing a normal gig. So for them to be very, you know, very self-assured, very themselves, it must mean a lot more as well, that it was just a very natural win. Yes, very natural. Um, the boys are really down to earth. You know, they studied as buskers. They played uh, in the streets. And then they had this, uh, well, it was luck, but it was also uh, being very good at what they do. And they uh, they got to X, X Factor. And uh, although they did not win, they, uh, they grew, um, how do you say, they became very popular with uh, uh, Italian listeners, above all young people, but not only, really not only young people. And, and then they went to San Remo, they won San Remo, and through the steps, uh, they stayed so down to earth. They are just simple people. Uh, they just love playing their music and they love doing this kind of uh, activity and if people like them they are happy but they're not going to uh, how do you say to use tricks uh, to use uh, um, to play how to get just to no no it's not just not the the way well we saw the reaction on saturday night didn't we the the amount of votes they got especially from the televote you know the the public across europe really took them to their hearts. What does the victory do for the reputation of Eurovision in Italy now? Because we've seen since Italy returned in 2011 that the country has sent consistently good songs, really good quality entries. And now you've got the the new victory under your belt. This must do wonders for the reputation. It will. I'm sure it will, uh, and uh, I have to tell you, we've had a big, big increase on the requests to join our fan club. Incredible increase. We're just trying to deal with it. <laughs> we, we need some days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's hard work, but uh, we, we will make it, and uh, this makes us incredibly happy. Uh, people are, uh, I think Eurovision is getting more and more popular and we, uh, Maneskin had the headline on the, on the most read uh, entertainment magazine in Italy and I'm sure they will make the headline uh, this week too because of their victory, I'm sure, and they made the headlines on the, uh, on the newspapers uh, and everybody's talking about this now. Now, Christina, you know as a Eurovision fan once one contest is over we start to look forward to the next one Eurovision 2022 will be in Italy we don't know where yet but as you mentioned before there's so many cities who have said we want that we want to host it next year so I don't know which city are you in where are you based well uh, I'm based in Florence Uh, I was born here and I absolutely love my hometown and I would love to show it to the whole Europe. (laughs) But wherever it is, because I'm looking at the list, Bologna and Milan and Turin have all said, maybe we'll do it. Wherever it is, it's safe to say Italy will put on an amazing show next year. 
I hope so. We will do anything. Uh, we as OGA clubs uh, are uh, entitled to run the Eurofan Cafe. So we will start immediately to work through this. Uh, well, not really immediately. I have my exams <laughs> this <laughs> month, but next month we will start. <laughs> yes, please. Give yourself a little holiday beforehand. Yeah, no, not holiday. I will be starting the whole time. <laughs> but it's very exciting that Eurovision is coming back to Italy next year. Yes, it's really, really exciting. I, 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 it's a dream come true. Really a dream come true. I, I, I've been watching Eurovision since I was a kid. Uh, we used to watch it with my parents. Uh, we watched Sanremo and then we, we knew that after one month or so Eurovision would be on. And at the time, Italian people were interested in the Eurovision Song Contest, and it used to be live at the time. And then, uh, then for many, many years, it was just forgotten, but it seemed to me such a pity because I was really passionate about the Eurovision. And when it came back, it was, it was just, it blew my mind. Wonderful. Well, Christina, congratulations again for Italy winning the Eurovision Song Contest at the weekend and uh, enjoy the next few months as you all get very very excited to host it in 2022. Thank you so much. This is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip podcast warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. As we said at the start of the interview there our very first guest from Italy and hopefully not our last. I like to think we'll speak to somebody else from Italy between now and the 2022 contest, which I am already very excited about. Not only because you know the Italians are going to put on a fantastic show, but the dining options, James, are going to be top notch. Well, you say that, although did we not put out a tweet the other day? Or should I say, did you put out a tweet the other day saying that the slogan should be pizza, pasta, pyro? It'd be good, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. Are you going to expand at all on the pizza and pasta option? Because, like you say, the dining options are sublime. What are your choices? I have always been a big fan of a dirty carbonara. <laughs> a dirty one? Does that mean it's been on the floor? No, it just means it's got a lot of cheese on it, so you probably wouldn't like it. <laughs> dirty carbonara, I would quite like to be my drag name. <laughs> Do you want to turn an Italian dish into your drag name? Can I, be, can I not be spicy arabiata? Yes, you can be Spicy Arabiata. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, brought to you by Dirty Carbonara and Spicy Arabiata. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Oh. You've, um, you've got more Italian puns to look forward to between now and next May. Oh, dearie me, dearie me. Uh, we've got another fab conversation coming up in just a second. Um, but Sweepstake, Rob, the Eurotrip's big Eurovision sweepstake, has naturally been won. It has absolutely been one. Congratulations to Miles, uh, Miles, a listener to the podcast, naturally, because he took part in the sweepstake. He was lucky enough to get Italy and he sent us this message. Hi, Rob. Hi, James. This is Miles calling from Cologne. I'm really delighted to have won the Eurotrip sweepstake. It made me a bit more of a fan of the Italian song on Saturday than I had been previously. Anyway, thank you very much for the great podcast. It's been a real highlight this year to listen to you and your guests. I'm really looking forward to the start of Eurovision 2022 season. Take care. Bye. Now, I must say there, it does sound like Miles has been given a script from us to read. 
Uh, he wasn't. He just loves the podcast that much. Uh, and congratulations to him. A lot of joy from me, because obviously, as you all know, listeners, James is the one who is giving away his Eurovision box. Um, what you don't know is that Miles, of all the people that could have won these sweepstakes, Miles lives in Cologne in Germany. <laughs> so James now has to manage to navigate the new Brexit post situation and send his big box to the European Union, which you're very excited about. Very excited about. Although, looking now at where the box should be, the box is not. So <laughs> maybe, Miles, you'll never get it. You will. I think I think it's somewhere else. But I will dig it out. You will get all of that one-of-a-kind <laughs> Eurasian memorabilia, which I would tell you what it, what it would be. But I think that would ruin the surprise. So, Miles, when you get it, in the next two to four business years, however long it now takes to send posts to the EU. Get in touch, tweet about it, let everybody else know what you got, because you, are, you sir, are in for a treat. Anyway, we've had another great conversation, or at least you have, with... Dr Zoe J, which is a fantastic name anyway. Uh, she is an academic who is in Helsinki in Finland, and she was tweeting some very interesting things over the weekend. So naturally, I thought, let's get her on the podcast. What she was saying was a really interesting analysis, actually, of why certain songs she believes did well and why they resonated with us watching at home, the viewing public. And it was all to do with how we have been affected by the pandemic. So not to bring the mood down, of course, but the pandemic has been difficult for a lot of people. And naturally, people have had different responses to it. So how did that impact on the leaderboard that we saw on Saturday night? It's a really fascinating look, actually, at why some of these countries did as they did. Uh, But before we get to that, I had to ask Dr Zoe this question, because you will hear her voice. And you will think she doesn't sound like she's from Finland at all. Uh, She is not. She's from Tasmania. So I asked, how does somebody from Tasmania get into the Eurovision Song Contest? That's a good question. I actually came to Eurovision a little bit later than a lot of other fans. I know people talk about watching it with their parents and growing up with it. I didn't discover it officially until I was about 22. My first Eurovision where I watched it on purpose, knowing what it was, was... 2012 when Lorraine won for Sweden a good one to get started with I think but I had been aware of it vaguely on TV sometimes I had seen it but didn't really know enough about what it was to be able to watch it regularly until I sort of was a bit older and could google it myself my family didn't watch it or anything but as soon as I saw it I loved it and was like this is the thing that I need to dedicate the rest (laughs) of my life to and now of course you're talking to me from Helsinki so how has that European experience changed now that you're actually in Europe ah it's so exciting this is my first Eurovision in Europe um and watching it live at night time not having to get up at 5 a.m I was really excited for that until I realized that it doesn't start in Finland until 10 p.m so I on Saturday night I was up until about 3 a.m anyway so I'm just as tired as I was in Australia but it's nice to be part of the European audience this time. Now, let's get to your really interesting observations of Saturday. Now, just can you talk us through why you think some of the songs were at the top of the scoreboard? Of course, towards the top, you know, we've got some really big and loud songs and and you think there's a reason for that? Yeah, I think there's a really interesting split between the top six. I know we normally talk in top fives, but 
there's a specific reason I want to keep Finland in the mix. Um, I think what we can see in that those top six songs is this really interesting emotional contrast between the really big, loud, almost angry kind of rock songs and um, Ukraine's dance rave kind of music. And then the more, I guess the word would be pensive or reflective music from um, Switzerland and France, this new genre that I am calling francophone chaotic sadness. <laughs> and I think they're two very different types of energy um, for Eurovision songs. And they speak to the kind of emotional roller coaster that we've all been on in throughout the pandemic. I think I experience both sides of that emotion a couple of times a day, sometimes <laughs> um, during the pandemic. And so I think those really resonated with people and it's apparent in songs throughout the, the whole competition this year, there's that sort of contrast between stuff that's a little more internal and a bit like, I want to retreat from the world and sit in my house, maybe cry in the shower. <laughs> and, and the stuff that is more like, I'm so sick of being inside. And I just like this song from Finland or this song from Italy has unleashed something in me. And I just want to scream it out and, like thrash around and so I think those two emotional contrasts are really interesting and it's like you said there they almost appeal to two different sides of the fence don't they you know you've got almost a you've got a song for everybody in in that top six or at least two camps of songs for everybody yeah and I think that's why all of those songs did so well both in the jury and in the televote um there's a little bit of variation in the patterns but overall they were popular songs across the board because they speak to those sort of two emotional extremes. So no matter how you were feeling on Saturday night or during the semifinals, there was something there for you. The one observation I suppose that I've taken away, and I don't know whether you agree, is that kind of, and this sounds bad as a Eurovision fan service, but songs that would typically be, in inverted commas, Eurovision, didn't really come to the fore on Saturday night. You know, the, the traditional kind of pop that you would expect to see at the Eurovision stage. Almost maybe that stereotype is gone now. I don't know whether you agree. Yeah, I think that is really interesting. I think we'll have to see how future Eurovisions go in the next couple of years and see if those more traditional pop songs and big key changes that we're used to come back or whether this is a shift towards Rockovision, um, which I would be very on board with. That would be pretty cool. But, um, yeah, I think it that shift is perhaps something to do with the fact that we as people have maybe changed a bit over the past year and we're in a slightly different headspace this year to what we usually are in a Eurovision, especially after not having a Eurovision, we've got a longer gap between the last one and this one for us to change and look for different things. But on the other hand, I think they are still very Eurovision songs in terms of being authentic. That's the that's what is binding and appealing when there's a really good, successful song even if it's not a genre that we're used to at Eurovision, it's usually something that's, it's got some kind of social or emotional resonance that really speaks to a lot of people across a lot of different contexts and whether it's big, loud rock music or a sort of more beautiful French song, I think that's apparent across the top performers. I'll ask you about Finland, of course, in a second, because I have to, because you're in Helsinki. Yes. But I'm interested to hear, obviously, from your perspective, obviously, we have a lot of listeners on our podcast who are from the United Kingdom, fans of the UK, and why you think the United Kingdom didn't do so well. Was it something about 
there wasn't the authenticity, there wasn't the emotional connection between the song and the viewing public, maybe? It's tricky to say why a song doesn't do so well compared to it. It's, it's easy to see why a song does really well because you can say, but look at it and everyone can agree with you, but often why songs don't do as well is a bit more personal, I guess. And I, I don't think it would be fair to say that James Newman isn't authentic because he's a very talented singer. I really liked his song last year um, as well as this year's. It's just that it wasn't, I think what's missing from the UK song and from a couple of other songs that were sort of towards the bottom of the, the scoreboard is the raw emotion. The James's song was quite polished and to me it felt like he maybe didn't cut loose quite as much and I think that's what we see at the top of the scoreboard is whatever the emotion is, it's this really raw, powerful scream, cry kind of thing and so the songs that did well spoke to stuff that's sort of deep inside us that we're all looking for as escapes and the stuff that didn't do so well was maybe a little more polished and a little more refined and like they're holding back. So it's not unauthentic. Maybe it's just a little restraint. The flip side of that then, the yeah. stark contrast comes from Blind Channel, from Finland. You're in Helsinki. It, I mean, it must have been great to see Finland back so high up the scoreboard again. Yes, it was so exciting. Um, I watched the national final UMK and I think the same kind of energy was present there. I think it was a really good taster that I was a bit worried that Blind Channel wouldn't do quite so well at Eurovision itself um, because metal music and rock music are really big parts of Finnish music culture. So it makes sense here that Finns really like metal and rock or um, violent pop as Blind Channel did describe themselves but as you said it's not necessarily a very Eurovision thing so I'm really glad that they did super well um they've got that message of world domination and I think they're well on their way to achieving it it's really exciting going forward looking ahead to Eurovision 2022 which sounds like a strange thing to do in May 2021 and it's built so far away do you think we will see in Italy the thing that we often see at Eurovision where whatever genre whatever style won the previous year we will see more of that in the 2022 contest and by the sounds of it you'd be all up for a, a rockier Eurovision next year I really hope so I think that would be sick it, um, I'm a big fan of both pop and rock I like a lot of different genres of music and I think what is really great about Eurovision is that it brings all these different genres and exposes people to new music and it's where I get most of my new music each yeah so it's um the chance to bring new genres and new styles to Eurovision is really exciting and I would love to see more of that kind of glam rock and new metal at Eurovision. Uh, Zoe thank you so much for chatting to us I really really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Great to hear Dr Zoe J join us on the podcast and give us that wonderful breakdown of how she thinks that the continent voted on Saturday night and why it did so. Uh, We'll be back to the podcast though in just a sec, but first, a quick message about the brilliant Queer Brewing Project and Cloud Water Soda, who are helping us bring you today's episode. Now, Cloud Water Soda is part of Cloud Water Brew Co and provides a great alternative drink if you're looking for something alcohol-free. 
Right now, Cloudwater Soda and The Queer Brewing Project are working together on a new soda collaboration. Now, the end result of that will be a delicious drink called Blossom, and it'll be packed full of banana, orange, and a hint of coriander seed. So the collab that Rob's talking about there will be ready very soon. But in the meantime, why not check out their website, thequeerbrewingproject.com and cloudwatersoda.co and use the code EUROTRIP for 10% off Queer Brewing beers and merch as well as Cloudwater Soda's range. That code is valid all the way through until July the 31st, 2021. Here we go. This is, this is the EUROTRIP. EUROTRIP. It's the week after the Eurovision Song Contest Grand Final. I don't know about you, I've got a bit of a ped post-Eurovision depression. I'm feeling a bit of a, bit of a, yeah, bit of a hole in my life. I don't know what I'm going to do for the next few months, but I am ready to take a little break. So as we said at the start of the podcast, me and James will be taking a step back because we have, I'll be honest with you, everybody been working very very hard on this podcast for the last few months and we are quite tired but it has been lovely to hear all of your feedback and lovely comments and see all of your lovely messages saying that you've been very grateful for especially the coverage of Rotterdam which I think lots of you enjoyed we enjoyed doing it too but we've got lives and stuff to do and yeah I mean I don't know what my life outside of Eurovision looks like it's been so long I can't remember at this stage yeah, it's crazy. I am very tired as well. And I hope it shows that we have been putting so much hard work into these podcasts, by the way, because we absolutely love doing it. And as Rob said, we've had tons and tons and tons of messages from you listening at home on Twitter and on Instagram and loads of lovely messages on our email, hello at eurotrippodcast.com too. So thank you to each and every one of you for listening and reaching out to us and subscribing and doing everything you can to help support everything we do here on the podcast as I say a massive thank you yeah really nice one from Connor actually so loads of you came back after I told you who you got in the sweepstake on Saturday morning Uh, Connor said thank you both so much for everything you've brought me so many hours of entertainment and excitement you two have tremendous talent you can see why I've read this email out and I love the unique friendly and fun atmosphere you create thank you for making your fantastic podcast well, isn't that lovely? Also, uh, I, I realised I found some messages the other day that I thought I'd read out. Martin Harvey, I've got to read his out, because he said, uh, Eurovision Snacks Update, we discovered a local chippy offers Rotterdam delicacy Capsalon. Now, I don't know if you remember, but on the Rotterdam road trip we did a few weeks ago, I chatted to uh, a university student in Rotterdam, and she that was the word she taught me. It was Capsalon. Um, so, Martin... Well done on finding some Capsalon in your local chippy. And I hope it was very, very nice. From the picture we've seen of this, it looks delicious. It looks filthy, but it looks delicious. Yeah, it really, really does. Um, So fair play to you for finding that. But loads of other messages as well from so many others. Uh, Jan got in touch and said, awesome work. Fernand said, top work, lads. You guys have worked incredibly hard. You deserve all the flowers, which may become my new phrase uh also uh somebody who doesn't appear to be a eurovision fan necessarily uh but kai got into saying if you're like me and will be watching eurovision tonight but have very little knowledge outside of abba and katrina and the waves eurotrip podcasts uh preview is a great way to get prepared it's too late now though because if you listen to it i mean you can't get prepared can you because it's happened now 
Yeah, very true. And don't listen to it because both me and Rob predict Iceland are going to win. And uh, as you remember, they didn't. Oh, did they not? <laughs> I was hoping that after the chat of the capsulon, we'd be able to get straight into our next interview with Steve Holden because I was going to say something along the lines of talking of things that are both filthy and delicious. Here is BBC Radio 1's music. <laughs> but I'm not sure he wants that introduction or I should say it. But you've now said it anyway, so go on continue let's get to the dirty and delicious man himself (laughs) (laughs) he's never coming back on is he uh steve holden of course bbc radio one's music reporter who has been in rotterdam for the last couple of weeks we had a chat to him on the podcast last weekend i think ahead of eurovision week itself or we spoke to him on monday actually when he'd released that brilliant documentary he'd been working on all about uh, the contest this year, also following the UK's at James Newman. Well, we'll ask Steve, now he's back, about the UK's result. But I began, as I mentioned there, he's finally returned home from Rotterdam. So we began by asking how he was feeling to be back in his flat in London. I'm going to be honest, I'm pleased that it is now over. Eurovision withdrawal is not kicking in and I can't bear to hear Adrenalina or Matahari or any of the other songs for just, you know, a little while. I haven't listened to any Eurovision since Eurovision ended. Two weeks is a long time. I mean, I'm not complaining in the slightest, but yeah, when it's two weeks of constant rehearsals and those songs, like I would wake up every morning with a different one in my head. Like one morning, Karma, Albania's entry was just every time my alarm went off, it would be like pop into my head. It's like it just seeps into your body, doesn't it? You must, you guys must have the same. And like you said, it's always the ones that you least expect as well. Like Albania is a song pretty much that I forgot existed until the semi-finals. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> da, na, 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 na. honestly, that just that that bit of the song just kept on going into my head. But yeah, no, I'm I'm glad to be back. What 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 a contest though! What what an amazing final. It really, it really was. was, wasn't it? Which song yeah. do you want to start with? Which song is stuck in your head right now? From the grand final that we, that you want to kick off with, which one do you want to chat about? Okay, let's. Should we talk about Sugar Moldova because the dun dun dun, dun has still been going around in my head. I think that I was surprised how well she did, and I was just disappointed with that staging because I wanted the ice creams, I wanted the over the topness of the music video, and it didn't really come to fruition. But Steve, you're forgetting their wonderful excuse in that apparently that platform she was on represented a sugar cube. How, how could you forget? <laughs> I, I missed the drop in the mic moment, by the way. I managed to pick it out at the time because you just heard that little, like you just heard it hit the ground and you could see the panic for about half a second in her voice about what had happened. But it just yeah. shows it's all real, doesn't it? That's the thing. People are, like, people are like, oh, you know, they're all so polished and... Either that or, oh, it's all pre-recorded or, and no, stuff like that does happen. Live, live. Um, Should we talk about the winner? Should we talk about Italy? Because I just think it was incredible. Regardless of whether you like the song or not, I do. I just think that they had the right Eurovision combination, which is good vocal, confidence on stage, amazing staging, like that. Climax with the pyrotechnics blew you away. Do you know what I mean? And I I thought it was going to win and it did win. And that massive public vote score, like saw it across the finish line, but it had everything in a Eurovision package without it being Eurovision. 
because the band had said to me, they were like, don't, we don't look for a Eurovision box. We just do what we do. And we're in that era of Eurovision at the moment, since I would say Salvador Sobral of winners just being them, not trying to be a Eurovision entry. I was going to say, do you think now Eurovision, you know, when people say a song is so Eurovision, the songs that were so Eurovision this year, they were the ones that didn't do as well. And it was yeah. the authentic performers, all of these artists, even Blind Channel as well. Yeah. And even Iceland, he was knowing about it. Like he was clever about it being Eurovision to the point where it was very meta which is like, you know, strange to say, like, yes, of course, like he was conforming to a Eurovision box, but he knew what he was doing and he, and it didn't kind of damage who he was as an artist. I'm kind of going, maybe I'm looking into this too deeply. Maybe it just <laughs> was just like frivolity, but I just think it was interesting. Those top five and blind channel at six, um, the Ukrainian song, you know, it's like stood out a mile wasn't conforming to anything it was just go a being go a that, that's them and the songs like malta like adrenalina san marino like matahari which are the the kind of yas queens ones do you know what i mean like the they're the ones that that dropped down and didn't do as well have you been now that we are you know speaking the few days after the contest have you been taken back by just how well so many of these songs are doing on streaming services. You know, you look at the Spotify viral top 50, I think. And James, you put this tweet out earlier, isn't it? Sort of 25% of the songs in the final are, are yeah, in there. I think it's a quarter of all of the entries from this year are in the global top 200 on Spotify, which just shows, again, that Eurovision just isn't a genre by itself. If you land the right combination, if you land the right song, people inside the Eurovision bubble and worldwide will love the song and will appreciate it. Yeah, completely. Because I would say 10 years ago when we were in the era of euphoria, I remember at that point when people were buying songs, like they weren't, streaming wasn't as big. They were all getting the charts, like so many of them. And now this is the equivalent of that, you know, because people are going to them. I think we're going to have a couple of um, top 40 entries this week. I think Embers is getting in there and so is Italy's. And then down in the the 75, Barbara is in there, Blind Channel's in there as well. You know, they, they strike a chord, don't they? They strike a chord because most people only see the songs on that final. You mentioned Embers there. And of course, hopefully, fingers crossed for James, he does get himself into the chart this week. How are you feeling about the United Kingdom at Eurovision this year? You know, there is so much discussion to be had. And I know that, you know, you've obviously been lucky enough to, to have a chat to James. Is he doing okay? Yeah, yeah. I spoke to James yesterday and he is. I think he's dealing with this in the best way possible. And I've seen the reaction to his statement on Twitter. He's getting a lot of love. Uh, he's not slamming the contest. You know, he's holding his head up high. He is a nice guy. That's what I think. I don't think anyone would argue with that. Um, he's a nice guy. And things didn't work out on the night. And it just... It didn't work. Two things. The, the other songs were so good, weren't they? The, the, I, I said this in my um, 
like live TV reports and stuff. After a two year break, countries brought their A game, absolute A game. Like I can't remember a, a final as strong as that since maybe 2016, where it was just like hit after hit after hit. And I do think there was issues with James's staging as well. You know, that's a personal opinion. I think that it, it just didn't, a Eurovision good song now should have like, it should look like a music video, shouldn't it? On stage, you know, you look at John's Tears, the editing of it, the camera angles. Okay, it's not to everyone's taste, but it makes an impact. And James's staging was like, it was something on Strictly or, you know, like a traditional TV appearance rather than something that I think we expect from Eurovision now. Out of the embers, you and I gonna light up the room. And I, re I feel really bad for James because he, all the way through this, had always said he totally got the contest. He got the, the reason of it, the exposure, the commitment. He put in all the effort. He was a great ambassador, I think, for the UK. And I think if going forward now, just keeps his head up high. He's the guy that got zero points. Don't be disheartened about that. Like, just embrace it. Even though a lot of the, the British media especially has been going, it is all political, they don't like the UK, they don't want to vote for us, there was still a lot of positive reaction in the UK. We've seen, obviously, we discussed earlier about how James's song is possibly going to be in the top 40, and 50% of the TV audience on Saturday night had Eurovision on the screens. There's still a lot of love for it in the country, isn't there? Yeah, it got the best audience overnight figures, I think, since the 2014 contest. Um which is, which is incredible. Like Eurovision is a big thing. Interestingly, so people that I spoke to, I spoke to one um, other head of delegation when I was in Rotterdam and he was telling me that it's a misconception that people want the UK to fail. He said, we want you to do well again. Like we love the United Kingdom. We love what you bring to Eurovision. Like you can do this again. We are willing you to win and do well. Nobody would like to see the UK do well again than, than all the other countries that take part. Now, one country I wanna chat about is San Marino because a couple of months ago, we all joined this hype train, didn't we? When we found out that Flo Rida was gonna go and then it was the will he, won't he during rehearsals week and he did. And what a shock to not see San Marino do very well at all. Oh uh, yeah, I thought they were going to be top 10. I really thought they were going to be top 10, but they just didn't seem to get public vote or um, or jury votes, did they? Do you think that people were put off by Flowrider because it was too professional? Or was it because they came in the running order? Like, it was like Italy was the natural climax to the show, maybe. I don't know. Um, was really, really, really shocked. I don't know whether we're overthinking it because that's what Eurovision fans love to do. But I mean, for me, I don't know. Did people watching on Saturday see through it? Did they see through what San Marino were trying to do? You know, were, were San Marino trying to buy, not buy votes in the sense of buying votes, but were they trying to get 
you know, invest loads on a huge performer, get him in and then do well. There was a few that, that obviously the Malta public vote was quite shocking as well. And those four countries that got no points in the public to the point where it was kind of comedy, wasn't it? You know, yeah. and I, I was almost thankful for James that there were other people that had that humiliation, you know, well, not humiliation, but that ha that happened to them. They were tied together with that collective bond of just like what has happened what? to us and at least they had each what? other. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, like I had a feeling as soon as they were gonna, when the United Kingdom's public votes, I was like, please don't be zero. Like sisters, Germany, 2019. And then it was. What was the reaction like where you were to the four zero points? People could not believe it. Audible shock, absolute audible shock. Just people thinking this is brutal. This is absolutely brutal. And wasn't it good? Wasn't James's reaction and the reaction of the crowd brilliant? You know, that was a real moment. Um, and he said that was spontaneous as well. So no, it, it was fantastic. Although I don't, you know, I don't envy whoever had to clear his beer up after it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it, it brings us nicely on, though, to the big five, because you had such a split, of course, with Italy and France at the top of the leaderboard and then the rest of them down the bottom. Do you yeah. It's interesting to see what's going to happen with the big five going forward because it's 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 just such an interesting one, isn't it? Whether or not they do suffer not performing in the semi-final. I mean, Italy and France show that they don't. I think there is the the thing. The thing is, out of the big five, wouldn't you argue that Italy and France they they can well Italy especially does consistently well, and France kind of does well as in the grand scheme of things too. Whereas Spain, Germany, and the UK are always knocking for those bottom spots. Always, every year. You could argue that for a while, Germany was doing even worse than the UK. Is there a, is there a question to be had about the big five then? Very quickly, is there a case to make them compete in the semi-final and give them all the exposure? Or does the fact that Italy's win at the weekend prove that you don't necessarily need it? And the fact that the likes of Germany and Spain and the UK just tend to be very unlucky when we get to the grand final. Is uh, unlucky the word though? You've used maybe, the word unlucky. <laughs> maybe the word unlucky is, is very fair to them. Maybe it's the, maybe there's an argument that actually the big five have to work harder, like a lot harder to put something that is spectacular in, which is what they did with France and Italy this year. You know, Bar Barbara's song was not to everybody's taste, but it stood out a mile didn't it i think don't don't quote me on this didn't the uk juries give france 12 points yeah, this yeah, year yeah. um and it built to that amazing crescendo with that kind of strange camera work and stuff it stood out whereas even spain you know his staging it was just him with a big moon 
<laughs> there wasn't anything special about it, was there really? And then Germany was the was the joke act. So you definitely, I, I just think it's about effort, isn't it? I think that I think the big five actually have to work harder because they don't get as much of the build up. What's on your wish list for 2022? It's May 2021, Steve. I don't know why we're asking you this now. What's what's <laughs> on your wish list for 2022? Uh, I'd love to see something completely different from the UK, as mentioned already. Something that really, really stands out that gets people talking straight away. You know. But by something different, you don't mean a Bill Bailey, for example. No, no, we don't. Like, I know that people love the Frock Destroyers. I know that people love UK Dolls. Um, and I know people love Bill Bailey, but it's not the time to do a joke act. The, if the UK is going to do well again, they need to send somebody who's really serious about it and is committed to it. And it will be a challenge to convince somebody to do it. And uh, I'd love the. Uh, I think Italy will put on an amazing contest. Um, I'd like to see Sweden take a different approach. I think that the Melfest, um, there's, there's Melfest fatigue in the traditional sense, isn't there? Because Tuse, great vocalist, great ambassador, great contestant, but Voices was kind of middle of the road, wasn't it? And Sweden, their first full year without Krista Bjorkman as well. So maybe, maybe if ever there was a time for them to take a change in direction, it is 2022. Yeah. Now then, can I get some favourite memories from the last two weeks from you, Steve? Because you've been there, you've been in the arena, you've been in the press centre, you've probably seen some things that we haven't had the luxury of seeing, perhaps. So without saying... <laughs> you've seeing... maybe seen some things, maybe, maybe you've seen some things that we were delighted that we didn't see. <laughs> I think one of my big highlights was interviewing Nikki Diega, um, Nikki Tutorials. I think that she was a real revelation this year for a lot of people. What a confident presenter, warm, um, trusted. Uh, she told us in our interview for, for Newsbeat that she knew she was making history as the first transgender host of Eurovision and making um, a nod in each of her outfits to the trans pride flag as well. Um, she was just a real revelation for me. Like, cause I didn't know too much about Nikki tutorials. I know she's one of the biggest YouTubers in the world, but yeah, a natural, like, and I think she's been welcomed into the Eurovision family. I don't know if you got that vibe as well. So one of my best memories is actually nothing to do with the songs. It was one of the presenters. Um, meeting Philip Kukov, or rather him shunning us because he was annoyed that he wasn't allowed in on our interview with Natalia. That was quite funny. Um, but just, just, being there felt a real honor and privilege. And I know I was very lucky to be there. Um, it, and, it, and it felt different this year. You know, it would have been so good to have everybody there, but just to have an audience hearing on the first semi-final, hearing the cheer at the beginning of the show, like gave me goosebumps because we're, we haven't had that for so long. It just felt so good for Eurovision to be back. So yeah, I think it was, it was one to remember. As always, a massive thanks to Steve Holden for donating some of his very precious time to chat all things Eurovision. We could, Rob, chat to that man for hours and hours and hours. And I'm sad that we couldn't and we missed out so many countries there. But it's just safe to say that he had a fantastic time in Rotterdam and we had a fantastic time covering it in the online press centre as well. And we've already arranged our date, haven't we? Me, you, Steve, Italy, 2022. We'll be there. 
We certainly will. Have you got a favourite Italian city so far from the many, many, many that have thrown their hat into the ring? I'm looking now. Bologna, Florence, Milan, Naples. Have you got a favourite so far? I've been to a couple of them. I've been to Bologna and I've been to Florence. They're actually quite close to each other. I think they're about an hour and a half train ride apart. Um, So either of those would be top notch. Florence, I've said this to a lot of people and I don't know whether people agree with me. Florence, far more romantic than Paris. So if it is Florence, me and you could be having one heck of a romantic few months. Junior Eurovision in Paris, Eurovision in Florence, we'll be married by the end of Eurovision season. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a what a lovely time to look forward to. But speaking about Next time with feeling. Oh, thanks. I was going to do a, a segue because you're king of the segues. I was going to try and ravel you with a segue, but having things to look forward to and looking forward to the final episode of the Eurotrip next week. But never mind. What James has said there is right. It's the final episode of the Eurotrip next week. We say final, not final, final. Like final for a bit, but we'll be back. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, we'll be back and we will be looking back at everything that's happened, looking ahead to what's to come and doing some stuff and talking to some people. We're not sure what we're doing yet, but we hope to be able to talk to lots of people or maybe one important person or maybe no one will be able to come on and it'll just be me and James. But there'll be something in your podcast feed next Wednesday and it'll be worth your time. And I'll tell you what else will be in there next week. Because, to be quite honest with you, we forgot about it this week, the one second song will return for the final episode of the Eurotrip next week. I keep seeing the final episode. What I should be seeing is the final episode of the 2021 season. We will be back at some point, maybe over the summer or sometime else, but next week we'll be back. Yeah, we have saved you, listeners, from the last five minutes that we just had off, off air where... Um... I was just having a little scurry around my hard drive to see whether there was a one-second song that I hadn't used yet. And there isn't. Uh, you almost got um, Mickey Joe Hart's We Got the World Tonight for the second time. But um, I didn't do that to you. But the one-second song. We'll be back next week. We'll be back next week. And we will be a week closer to Eurovision 2022. Wow. Get your fingers ready to start typing in Eurovision 2022 onto your keyboards instead of Eurovision 2021, because I know it'll take me a while. It's like, you know, when you're at school and you go into uh, January and you start writing the old year and you're like, oh, no, I've got to write the other year. It's a new year. I've got to try and write that one instead and you just can't quite do it. It's a niche reference, but we all know what you're talking about. (laughs) Anyway, let's wrap up. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us every single day last week for Almost Life from Rotterdam. It was a pleasure for you to join us and uh, give you the best coverage we could possibly do. We had an absolute thrill ride doing it. We are back for one final episode of the season next Wednesday. So in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, in the words of Rafael, let's ride. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll say goodbye. Anyway, bye. I turned my laptop off for the first time in a good four weeks on Sunday. Wow. Wow. I bet he was pleased. I bet he was, yeah. Probably why he's doing a fit now. <laughs> he's having a wreck on. What are you turning me back on for? The, I've done enough. Is that the voice of your laptop? <laughs> is, it not, is, not the, is that not the voice uh, of yours? No, mine's, um, it, mine's slightly uh, French. <laughs> <laughs>
Is it? Yeah. Go on, Oh, I'm so tired. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.